Hey, I'm glad that you're here today, and um, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. I know I talked a lot already, but I'm going to talk some more. I want to share with you from God's Word what I think is really important um, for us to see in Hebrews chapter 4. We've been in a series called Jesus is Better. And we've been talking through some things that he's better at, uh, or better because of, we we can say in some regard. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4 today and a little bit of chapter 5. So a little bit of chapter 4, a little bit of chapter 5. But what I want to do before I go into that section of scripture is I want to give you a little bit of background about what we're going to talk about because it'll help you. I want to take you back to Exodus. Just You don't have to turn there right now, but that you can get the full picture. You've got to remember, as we've talked through Hebrews, the people who are getting the letter to the Hebrews were Jews who had converted to Christianity. They now believe that Jesus was the Messiah sent from God to mankind to save them. So now they've made this switch and they're receiving this letter. They were raised with a deep understanding of the Old Testament. Um, there's a, there's stats out right now. You don't care by who, but it's Barna research, uh, that says that it is under 30% of American Christians read the Bible regularly. Regularly is defined in their survey or their study as two to three times per week. In those days, Everybody who is Jewish, all of them lived together in close quarters. They would all go to what we would call now, and you would see now, called a synagogue. And if you're an Orthodox Jew, you can't live in the middle of Nebraska because there might not be a synagogue there. So you've got to be able to get to... They develop from a very young age, and they have for hundreds and thousands of years a deep appreciation in their children from the from birth, really, on up all the stories, all the understanding of the Old Testament. Now, they might not fully grasp it, but it is a deeper understanding than what I would say us as American Christians kind of are familiar with, okay? So the author of Hebrews is going to tie in stuff from the Old Testament, knowing that these people who were Jews understand what he's talking about. But because you're not Jewish, I'm going to help you understand what he was talking about. So when God delivered his people from the Egyptians in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, he chose Moses to be the human deliverer. He said, Moses, I'm going to call you. You're going to go before Pharaoh. And what did Moses do? If you remember any part of that story, Moses immediately began to give excuses to God. I don't know that it's that he didn't want to do it. It's just that he saw his reality. Like, I can't. I can't accomplish this. One of those things had to do with what some scholars think is a speech impediment, uh, that he couldn't talk well or speak well. And so he, he actually talks to God and tries to find a way out, and God makes a concession to his plan. I want you to understand what that means. God compromised his original plan of Moses only by saying, I'll give you a partner your brother Aaron. So if, you, if you're paying attention to that sort of stuff, you would know then that Aaron not only becomes a partner with Moses in the Exodus, but he then gets designated as something called a high priest. That would be the manager or the boss of all the other priests. And the high priest was very important. 
In fact, in the Old Testament, all of the future high priests that came after Aaron were all from his bloodline until a certain point. They had to have the hereditary, I am a great, 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 great grandson of Aaron to be able to qualify to be a high priest in the house of God. So this is something that the Jewish people in Jesus' day, and when they get the letter to the Hebrews, they would have remembered and known all of these things. Let me tell you what a high priest is, but let me tell you the title of my message first. And that is that Jesus is better than Melchizedek. You say, Melchizedek. We're going to talk a little bit about him because he shows up here in Hebrews, but he was a high priest and he was a high priest before Aaron became known as a high priest. In fact, it's really interesting. We talked about giving a few minutes ago. For those that if you ever run into somebody who says, oh, tithing's not part of the new covenant. We don't need to do that. Now Jesus came, set us free from that. We don't have to Well, actually, tithing is in Genesis 14 when Abram, this is before Moses, Abram tithes to a high priest of Almighty God, the Most High God, it says. His name was Melchizedek, and he chose to give him 10% of all that he had. You also find tithes in Revelation, so if you, if you ever struggle with that or you know somebody who struggles with it, I say, look at scripture deeply and let's read it for what it is, not what we wish it was. Okay? So let me tell you what a high priest is. He is the supreme religious leader of the Israelites. The high priest had to be whole physically without any physical defects so that he'd be able to serve in the house of God at any given moment, and he had to be also holy in his conduct or without sin, okay? Uh, to the best of his ability, obeying all of God's laws so that he could honor the Lord in God's presence and that he could honor the sacrifices of the people. The most important duty that the high priest had was one day. Can you imagine you had a job one day a year? <laughs> That'd be fantastic. One day a year is what he had to do. And it was on the day of atonement. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the entire Leviticus series. If you want information about the day of atonement. Uh, But we did a series last year on Leviticus. And that's when we talked about this. That day, only one person was allowed to enter into the most holy place. And if you remember from that, or if you want to Google a picture later... In the tabernacle, the setup that there, that they had in those days was there were altars in courtyards and it slowly moved into a more holy and a more holy setting. So priests would come and serve at the altar of incense and all that inside of a little sheltered area. But then there was this giant curtain also called a veil. And beyond that is where the Ark of the Covenant was and where what they considered God's throne was on the earth. So, the high priest on the day of atonement would make a sacrifice for himself, all any sin that he committed that year, and all of the people. And then he would take some of that blood and he would, with God's permission, go into the holy place and he would sprinkle God's throne with the blood of that sacrifice in order to be made holy and redeemed. So he did this for himself and for the people for all of their sins. In Hebrews chapter 9, it said that Jesus has fulfilled this duty as our high priest. So, 
if we're talking about Melchizedek, and we will in just a few moments, we'll talk about him and what he accomplished as a high priest. But you've got to understand, if the Day of Atonement was the most important day for the high priest, and it involved him being able to go into God's presence and help redeem the people because of the sacrifice he was bringing, then I want you to have that imagery in your mind, just like the Hebrews would have had, that Jesus has now taken the place of Aaron and any of his descendants, and he has become the high priest and also the sacrifice that was pleasing to God. Now, there's some powerful uh, imagery here for us to get for our own lives. The sacrifice that he offered, that Jesus offered, was offered, the Bible tells us, once and for all, we don't have to keep carrying pigeons and turtle doves and you know lamb and, and cows and all that stuff to offer at an altar. We have Jesus as our great high priest. So he offered himself once for all mankind so that all who believe in him and remain loyal to him would receive salvation. They would be covered by that blood. So the writer of Hebrews keys in on this high priest theme quite a bit. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it's that word, that phrase is mentioned 18 times in 13 chapters. So he's really trying to get these people contextually to understand the high priest that used to serve. You don't need him anymore because you have one. He lives forever. So here's the point, and I'm probably jumping ahead of myself, but Aaron died his sons died. His grandsons died. Every time they died, the next one would have to become the high priest. And so there's this imagery in the, in the Israelites' mind that now we have a single high priest and he lives forever. He will never die. And, and we get to live with the benefit of that. So that's some background for you. Let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. It says this, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Go back to verse 14. I want you to pay attention to something. Jesus' origin is important. This is not a man like Aaron who has just been living on the earth and God said, I'm going to make you my high priest. This is now a man who was God and his origin is important. It says he passed through the heavens to come down to be with us. So he's not a human that was made perfect, but a perfect God himself born as a human. This, this verse, the end of that verse in 14, it says, hold fast our confession Really what it's telling us is to hold firmly to our faith. When do you need faith the most? The answer is when you need faith the most. 
right? I mean, I know that's really elementary, but you need faith in the moments of your life that things are difficult and tough, but you also need a believing loyalty to the God of heaven who created you with a purpose, who has designed you for a purpose on this earth, and he wants to walk with you. So the encouragement there is to be loyal to him and hold fast to your confession. Some some of my friends in ministry, in other denominations and groups of people would say something along the lines of, well, I said a prayer when I was yay high, and I don't really, I mean, I'm going to heaven regardless. Well, I feel like you really need to search scripture because there are lots of different things that are going on in scripture, and there is a demand on us once we have received the free gift to live according to how he wants us to. If we choose not to do that, then what right do we have to be in his presence and spend eternity with him? So I would encourage you, if you have that background, search out scripture, amen? So this high priest has been tempted but has not committed any sin. Jesus is who we're talking about. And because of this, we have confidence to draw near, it says, to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. I want you to understand, if one man on one day with one sacrifice, could enter into the throne room where God's throne was, and he's the only one, the writer of Hebrews is now saying, all of you can do this. You can go to the throne of grace and receive mercy. Mercy from God, a giver of mercy beyond any human mercy. My wife uh, had something that she had to take care of recently, and she asked for mercy from the person who was responsible or in charge. She was given no mercy. (laughs) Uh, it's It's not fun when you're expecting mercy, and then you don't get any, and you're like, oh, I wish I... Here's the deal. It doesn't say anything there about you qualifying for his mercy. It says that he has a throne of grace and that you can come boldly to him and find the help that you need. All right, let's jump to chapter five, verses one through 10. All right, listen to what it says. It says, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. I don't wanna go so fast today so that you don't really absorb this, but see that phrase, appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So the high priest acted on our behalf and brought gifts and sacrifices. Verse two, he can deal gently. This is not necessarily talking about Jesus in this passage right here. It's talking about a human um, high priest. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. He's a human just like anybody else. So he understands the error of our ways. Look at what verse three says. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins. Obviously, this is not talking about Jesus because he didn't sin, just as he does for those of the people. So the high priest who were human in nature only offered for themselves and for others. Look at what verse four says. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God. So you can't just say, "Ah, I think I'm going to become a high priest. You can't choose it. 
It chooses you. God chooses you to serve. So the writer of Hebrews is giving them all this information to help them understand what he's about to deliver. Look at what it says in verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. Hey, Dad, you know it would be awesome if you'd make me the high priest. He did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So Christ was chosen by God to become our great high priest. And he's better than all the rest who have ever served before. Look at verse six. It says, and he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse five and six that we just read, they're quotations from the Psalms. So they would have known those Psalms because, again, they're Jewish and they would have heard the recitation of them. They would have been practiced. They would have known what these Psalms were. Verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. I have to stop here and tell you that if you're a Christian, you ought to pray more than you do. If Jesus himself, the son of God, offered up prayers and supplications, and we'll read in just a moment, it says he's still doing that today in heaven beside the throne of God. He is ever making, the Bible says, intercession for you. He's the go-between. He's saying, Father, look at Mandy. Look at what she's going through. We've got to help her today. God, look at Bill and the struggle he has. God, we want to let, let's, he is making intercession to God on your behalf, even today. It's, it really, truly is beautiful. But the thing that just strikes me here is that if Jesus, in human form, had to pray and get alone with his father and the disciples couldn't find him sometimes. Well, where was he? Early in the morning, he rose up, went to the garden and he was praying. Oh, well, he departed from them and said, I'll meet you on the other side. What was he doing? He was stealing away moments. It didn't matter that the kids wouldn't, you know, they kept knocking on the door or the boss called earlier than you expected or whatever. He made time. So you also have to remember he was a carpenter before he went into ministry. So I'm thinking he understands the restraints or the constraints, I should say, of our work life and all of those things. He knows that stuff, but he still took time to talk to the Father. You ought to pray. And not just a honey-do list. Not just a, God, I need you right now to do this right now. Amen. But having time and communion and fellowship with him. All right, let's look at verse 8. It says this, although he was a son... This is talking about Jesus. He learned obedience through what he suffered. All the parents say amen. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Theology is present here in this verse, though. Even sons suffer. God, why me? Why? Why? What have I done? What? A Even the Son of God suffered. And what was he doing in that suffering? He was learning obedience. God, I pray I learned obedience quick. I'm, 
You ever been there in that spot when you're suffering through something and all of a sudden you're like, man, gosh, I really wish I could just get, like ace this course and get out of it and graduate. God, please. God wants to teach you something in the midst of even the things that you suffer. Verse nine, and being made perfect, Jesus, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So I'm going to say it to you like this. I already hit on this a minute ago, but the prayer that you prayed when you were 10 years old matters less than the life you live today. This is important because it says to all who obey him. And what do we say? We, we understand this with common sense and with logic that if I know it, I have to obey it. So once you know it, now you're responsible for it. And Jesus, it says, is the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He was made the source of eternal salvation, but that word obey is not in the past tense. It's in the present. So good Christian soldier, I would say this, obey him. I'm doing my best to obey him. I want you to do your best with your grandkid, with your new kid, with your job, with your career choice. I want you to learn to obey him. There's a blessing in obedience, amen? Amen. Verse 10 says this, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Here it is again, that name. God's incredible plan involved giving himself as the sacrifice for man's redemption, defeating death, and then resurrecting in order that we would have life. And the Bible says, have it more abundantly. Have a life that we never dreamed we could have previously because we would have been in bondage and remained in bondage had Jesus not saved us and and done that work. So I want to give you a couple applications about what we've read today that'll help you, I think. Those who are in the room who are a believer for 20 years and those who might not necessarily have a relationship with God. But before I do that, I want to tell you a little bit about this weird guy or weird name guy, Melchizedek. So if you've ever come across this and you've wondered who he is, I'll give you kind of like Cliff's notes today. He is a king and a priest of a city named Salem. It was the ancient name for the city of Jerusalem. He's a bit of a mystery, but he's mentioned in three other places in scripture. Genesis 14, I already alluded to when I told you about Abram paying his tithes to him. Psalm 110 talks about Melchizedek, and Hebrews chapter 7 tells us some stuff about him too. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. It says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. The writer of Hebrews is digging deep into their knowledge and background, saying, you've heard this man's name before. You know that it means righteousness and peace. And I'm telling you, there's one who is a superlative. He is better than that guy because he truly offers righteousness to you as people. And the peace of God, which the apostle Paul says, passes all 
understanding. People look at you and say, how are you walking through this with peace? And you're going through this struggle because you are serving the God of peace who shall and has crushed Satan under his feet. Amen. Amen. Look at what it says in verse three. It says, he is without father or mother, talking about Melchizedek, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. This is really interesting because I'm gonna meet a man in heaven whose name was Melchizedek. It says that he continues a priest forever. This is wild. There's some really cool things in the word of God and you should definitely check it out. But think about this. Compare just this passage, this verse right here. Compare it to Christ. Christ was without a father on earth as it regarded his humanity, right? It was not Joseph's child. It was God's only begotten. But he was also without mother in his divinity, a human mother, no deification, no holiness outside of whatever God chose and appointed her for, gave birth to him. He's the only begotten son of the father. There is no record of Melchizedek's beginning or end. And I would defy you to find a place where it says Jesus began or that he will ever end. This is deep stuff for them. Christ has no record of beginning and he will have no end. Christ's priesthood is and will be uninterrupted because he lives forevermore. He's not going to die and then appoint another in his place. He is the high priest, the great high priest. So look at, jump down to verse 23 to 28 in chapter 7. It says this, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he lives, the word is, or continues forever. Verse 25, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Don't you believe the lie that there are many roads that lead to heaven? Because I can tell you, although there are some weirdos in California trying to build a bridge to Hawaii with taxpayer dollars, not all roads lead to Hawaii. Do you understand me? You've got to just think common sense and also logically. But here's the deal. The idea is not all roads lead to God. There is but one way, the Bible says, and that is through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected. He is the only way. That doesn't make you a bigot. That makes you a Christian and a believer in the only way to heaven. You ought to share this truth with those who are looking for it. Wet their appetite so that they are looking for it. Look at what it says. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession, another word we could use is prayer for them. Verse 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Verse 27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself, Verse 28, for the law appoints men 
in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, talking about the word that God spoke, which came after the law, appoints a son, capital S, who has been made perfect forever. So the point is this, Jesus is better than some guy named Melchizedek who showed up before the other high priests showed up. That's really important. I wanna tell you four things that Jesus offers to us as a great high priest. When I get to number three, the worship team could come join me. Jesus, our great high priest, offers you, offers you and I, a definitive sense of sins forgiven. The forgiveness of our sins is concrete because Jesus and his work that he did on the cross through the sacrifice. So if here's the deal. If you've ever doubted you were saved, but then realized, you know, I really am saved because you had some questions in your mind, you need to fill your doubts with the truth of God's word, which says that Jesus came and sacrificed himself once for all. And if you've accepted that and believe on him and live according to his word, you are where you need to be. The guilt of sin has been dealt with in the death of the great high priest. Look at the next thing. Jesus, our great high priest, offers you a cleaned or cleansed conscience. Anybody ever have something on your conscience that bothered you? I'm glad I'm not the only one. Jesus offers to you and to I the ability, he through his work as our great high priest, offers us the ability to have freedom in our mind. In addition to the forgiveness of sins, we can have our hearts cleansed, our minds cleansed by virtue of the blood that he shed for us. The Bible says that he wants to wash us and purify us. And I think that that is not a one and done. That is a process that happens over and over and over again. I won't share the story today. I've shared it till I'm blue in the face. I struggled with bitterness There are still moments in my life that I struggle with bitterness. In those moments, I turn to the cross and I realize, Jesus, you've cleansed my conscience of this. Lord, help me to forgive. I forgive them today in Jesus' name. And I go on with my day. It's gotten easier, but it hasn't disappeared. I'm a human. So he offers us a cleansed conscience once and for all, but it's a process that we keep going through. And then the third thing, is this, Jesus, our great high priest, offers us a secured inheritance. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 15 says this, that the priestly work of Jesus ensures that all of us will receive eternal life. All believers in him will receive eternal life. I've heard some horror stories about families who have lost a loved one, maybe the patriarch or matriarch of the family, the father or grandfather, the mother, the grandmother. And then in their will, they've done maybe something that was questionable. They've left behind all of their inheritance to one out of five kids, or they've given it all to a a church or a good cause instead of to family members. There's all kinds of issues that come up with inheriting something. But what you inherit from Jesus Christ as your great high priest is the fact that he says, if you come to me, believe on me, live for me, 
you have a security in heaven. Your inheritance is eternal life. Look at this fourth thing, and I'll close. Jesus, our great high priest, is to us a sympathetic helper. He's a great high priest, and he's a sympathetic helper to you and to me. I want you to think about this. In the Old Testament, a prophet was near to God and spoke to men on behalf of God. The priest was near to man and he spoke to God on behalf of the people. Jesus had to become a human in human flesh to be able to sympathize with our weaknesses, to understand and to see, not for his benefit, but for your benefit and for mine, so that we would trust him. I don't know about you, but if I hear somebody talking some details about you know current events or stats or something like that, I wanna know who's talking. Are you just pulling these things out of thin air or do you really know what you're talking about? This is the proof that I see in scripture where it says that we can have that same understanding of Jesus Christ because he knows what he's talking about. He's been in our body. He's been in human flesh and he knows. So when you're tempted, you can go to Jesus, the great high priest, knowing that he sympathizes with you. And that doesn't mean he lets you cop out. He holds you accountable and he wants to see you grow. That's what a true helper does. The truth is that Jesus resurrected from the dead, defeating death. The Bible tells us he ascended, he went up to heaven and he is now reigning from heaven over what we already heard in our Hebrew series is called the house of God, which is you and I as believers that he is reigning currently and will never stop. So we're confident because of that knowledge, because of that truth, we're confident to know that he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Jesus is right now praying for you. I wonder what he's saying. I think it would shape your day if you got a glimpse of what Jesus talks to the Father about when it comes to you. You say, how's that possible? There are billions of people on the planet because he's God and he loves every single last one of us. He desires for us to accept him as the great high priest and accept his forgiveness, to be washed clean, to be healed. The Bible says to even be purified even of human ailments or illness. He wants to heal. He wants to heal internally the human heart that comes to him. So Jesus truly is better than Melchizedek in every single way. I want you to think about these things today. And I want you to pray the prayer that we pray often, which is, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? There's a chance today, I felt it this morning as I finished my preparation, that someone could be here today that is feeling conviction over a specific sin. God, I know I'm doing this thing and I should stop and I don't have the, I, I haven't made the choice to, I keep giving in, 
God, will you be my sympathetic helper today? And Jesus says, yes, I will. There might be someone here today that has an emotional hurt, something going on in their marriage or in their family or a loss or something that God wants to walk beside you. He loves you with all of his heart and created you for a purpose and on purpose. So goodness gracious, don't keep it to yourself. This week, you're gonna meet people who are hurting, who have that emotional need, who have that physical need, who have that spiritual need to come in contact. Man, I could go further into this. The whole idea that we are a kingdom of priests to the most high God because Jesus through him by virtue of what he's done we've all been appointed priests and what do priests do priests are close to men and they go to God and they go to men they continue to make intercession and go between so be the person that lifts up your brother or your sister in prayer this week be the one that continues to pray for that same need that you've not yet seen met because our God is greater than all the stuff that we face. Holy Spirit, whatever you're saying to each one of us today, I pray that you would help the believers in this room to obey. Father, help us to trust you as our great high priest.